Today on Blue 58, it's easy to find fault with the Packers. We've followed them in detail for months now, and it's easy to see the warts when you get close to a team. But they're playoff bound and they're Super Bowl contenders. So what's going well? That's worth talking about. So let's do it. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got a lot to talk about today and some fun stuff to talk about, too. Some interesting late-season pickups, an interesting situation with the Broncos and Saints, as well as the Steelers and Ravens playing out right now, uh, right now as well as what the Packers are doing well so far this year. So let's dive right in. First and foremost, got a couple new guys to talk about. First and foremost, Tavon Austin, all five feet, eight inches of him. It's great to see the Packers make a move like this. I have pretty much no expectations for how this is going to play out. It's pretty clear what the thinking is here. Tyler Irvin's been banged up for the better part of a month, maybe a little bit longer, in and out of the lineup with wrist and rib injuries. Packers need a punt returner. They also need somebody who's a threat on jet motion, and for whatever reason, they don't feel fully comfortable using Marquez Valdez-Scantling in that role all the time. So here comes Tavon Austin. He can do that. He can return punts. And if needed, I'm assuming they can probably use him as a kickoff returner too, though that's barely a consideration anymore given how rarely kicks are actually returned. What is he actually going to be? Who really knows? Tyler Irvin is more a theory than an actual threat given how how rarely he touches the ball when he's actually on the field. But I think there's a lot to like about Austin too. He's fast. Even if he's not the 4-3-8 guy that he was in, the, in 2013 at the Combine, he still can move pretty well. He can return punts. He can fill that Tyler Irvin role, and he can probably do it pretty quickly given his experience uh, in the Lafleur shanahan McVay system in Los Angeles and in San Francisco. I, I think this is a pretty low-risk, high-upside move. Shouldn't expect much given that he hasn't played in the NFL since 2019, but still, he's got a nice skill set. He's filling a defined role. If it doesn't work out, you're going to get Tyler Irvin back fairly soon anyway. Very little risk, potentially pretty good reward. It's also interesting to note that he'll just be the fifth player in the 21st century, if he gets into a game, to play for the Packers at 5 feet 8 inches or shorter. Can you think of the other ones? I'll give you a second here. The most recent one is one that will probably jump into your head as soon as I say it. Dewan Harris, one of my favorite players, probably the the lone bright spot of the 2012 season. That was a a bit of a slog, but he was a little bit fun down the stretch. Also coming in uh, under 5'8", both Antonio Chapman and Alan Rossum, both exactly at 5'8", I should say. And then rounding out that list of 5'8 or shorter players since 2000, J.J. Moses, all 5 feet 6 inches of him playing for the Packers in 2002. Later for the Houston Texans as well. The complete opposite end of the spectrum is Anthony Rush, who the Packers claimed off of waivers this week. 6 feet 4 inches, 361 pounds. Look, the Packers needed another defensive lineman with Montrevious Adams headed to injured reserve. And Anthony Rush is that. Again, pretty low expectations here, but you like the physical dimensions. He should be able to two-gap as a nose tackle just because he's 361 pounds. If Anthony Rush appears in a game for the Packers, he will be the heaviest player 
to ever play a game for the Green Bay Packers by listed weight. That's an important distinction. He is listed at 361 pounds. The highest or the previous high for the weight a player has listed in the program is Grady Jackson at 345 pounds. Gilbert Brown was listed, again, that is the key word there, at a relatively svelte 340 pounds. And I can vividly remember Pat Summerall saying in Super Bowl 31 when John Madden said what his weight was, you're too kind in his iconic baritone voice. Again, pretty low expectations here. The Packers defensive line rotation seems pretty well established. It's interesting nonetheless. Six foot four, 361 pounds is going to turn your head whether he's any good or not. And admittedly, both of these players kind of fall into a little bit of a, a sweet spot. Maybe not so much bias, but something that's just inherently interesting to me. Really big guys or really small guys are just going to be interesting. It, it's that first off the bus mentality or that guy who's five foot eight, like Austin. So he must be really fast. And in Austin's case, he actually is. And that's fascinating. That's a, a little fascinating detail about football. It's not all one body type. Even among the, the Packers defensive linemen, you've got all kinds of different guys, all kinds of different shapes of bodies. And figuring out how to fit all those pieces together in a way that helps your team is interesting. What does a guy like Anthony Rush bring you just because of how big he is? How does a guy like Kingsley Kiki offset uh, not being quite as big as an Anthony Rush? What does Tavon Austin give you that a guy like Alan Lazard can't and vice versa? And how do you use those different skill sets, even though they play nominally the same position, in different ways? That's interesting, and we've got a couple interesting examples uh, for the Packers to figure out how to use here. Speaking of interesting, a YouTube listener asked me this week for a take on the Broncos Saints situation that played out on Sunday. So to recap, in short, all the Broncos quarterbacks ended up on the COVID list, so they ended up starting a practice squad wide receiver at quarterback. It went about as well as you would expect. He completed one pass, I think, for nine yards. It was it was not good. He it, it was it was exactly what you would have expected for a practice squad quarterback playing quarter or a practice squad receiver playing quarterback in the NFL. The Broncos had asked the NFL if they could have their quarterback's coach play quarterback this week. The NFL said no. I get why they did that. They don't want to create a loophole for stashing players on your coaching staff. But still, we are in a sort of weird situation here. It's, it's, a, it's a pandemic. This is a season unlike anything we've ever seen before. So what do we think about this? Some general thoughts. First, I think we're seeing some cracks with the NFL's approach to this football in a pandemic situation. Throughout all of this, the NFL has been pretty quick to respond, but also remarkably inflexible. And I think the bottom line here is that it's very clear that we're in a different strokes for different folks sort of situation. The Steelers and Ravens has been delayed like 57 times now. It is going to be Wednesday at the earliest when you are hearing this podcast. And if you're listening to it Wednesday morning, the Bron or the Ravens and Steelers game, which was supposed to be played last Thursday night, still has not been played. It's going to be played, in theory, Wednesday afternoon. We still don't know as of this recording. It's currently 8.24 p.m. here in Ohio where I am. 
We don't know when it's going to be played. For sure. The theory is it's going to be played tomorrow, but we don't know for sure. Why does that game get delayed so many times? Because the NFL wants to get it in 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 a certain condition. Why, though? It's very clear. You've got an undefeated Steelers team. You've got MVP Lamar Jackson. The NFL wants that game to go off as scheduled. But you've got the Saints, who were going to beat the Broncos no matter who was playing at quarterback. And they just, the NFL just says, figure it out. It doesn't matter. Figure it out. You have to play. The NFL is clearly taking things on a case-by-case basis, which would sound good in theory, but you end up in situations where a team has no realistic shot at winning. We're in a pandemic here. Find a solution that maintains some kind of competitive balance. And I get kind of coming down on the Broncos because they let themselves get into this situation, but so did the Ravens. The Ravens are partly to blame for their own situation. Why do they get 56, 57 delays? I don't know why I'm stuck on that number. And the Broncos don't. Carve out a one-time exemption so the Broncos can at least put in a guy they feel like has a chance at quarterback. But no, just going to throw him by the wayside. Second thing is this idea of the 2020 season being a war of attrition is super corny, but definitely real. People have been saying that since the very beginning And I'm more convinced than ever that this season is more of a survivor pool year than the best team actually winning the Super Bowl. Get to the playoffs, stay healthy, and you've got a shot. As we've seen the past couple weeks in the NFL, there is pretty much anything could happen. There is no end to things that could happen between, say, like the wild card round and the divisional round. Say the Packers end up having to play in the wild card round. They don't get the top seed in the NFC. They win their wild card game against whoever, doesn't matter. And then they're headed off to the second round of the playoffs. But then you have a Broncos situation. Can you really delay a game? I don't think so, because you're going to screw up the entire rest of the playoffs. Get in, stay healthy, and you've got a shot. And even if it's not a bunch of people that get sick, if you just have a couple guys at a couple different positions, who knows what could happen? Finally, I don't know what the resolution here is, but I'm very concerned long-term, 2021, 2022, maybe farther off than that, about what has changed in the NFL for good. And I think there is a good chance that we don't know and won't know what has changed for good until it's too late to ever get it back. I was thinking about this back in training camp. So this summer, the Packers couldn't have training camp at St. Norbert's. That's a change. Maybe for the better, maybe for the worst. We don't know. They also didn't have open training camp for the first time in who knows how long. And I can't help but wonder if that stuff is all just going to come back when we eventually get the all clear. Maybe it's not next year. Maybe they don't feel comfortable having everything open because of whatever the pandemic situations are at that point. But what about 2022? You'd think by then you'd at least have enough of a vaccine out that regardless of what you think of the virus, enough people are going to be protected that it would be safe to have an open training camp. Are we sure? Are we absolutely sure that everything's just going to come back? Then what about smaller things? What about practice squad rules? Stuff like that. Rules for getting guys in and out of camp, out of your building. That stuff should all be an easy fix. Just flip a switch and you're back to normal. But are we sure it's going to work out that way? 
What about things that could become leverage points? What about stuff like preseason games? We saw pretty definitively this year that preseason games are not much of a requirement for players to get ready for the season. The first couple weeks were a little bit sloppy, but not really as sloppy, I think, as we might have expected. Certainly not as sloppy as I expected. So what does that say going forward? The NFL owners have been pushing for years to get to a 20-game season or an 18-game season. 20-game season being like two preseason games and 18 regular season games. They've just about got their 17th game. What if they just say to the players, I know we signed that CBA last spring, but but pretty clearly preseason games don't, don't matter all that much. What if we only bring back two preseason games and then just slide number 18 on the end there? Just think about it. It would be a little bit more money for you. Still wouldn't have to go through all four preseason games. And heck, if you're a veteran, you probably are not going to be playing in those games anyway. What do you think? Just think about it. Just let us know. Things are going to change, and there are going to be things that have changed in the NFL and in our experiences as fans that aren't coming back, and we're not going to figure out what those things are yet. It's going to be a while until we know, but just be aware that those changes are coming. Chances are they've already happened. What are the Packers doing well? I think that's a really good question right now. Not in a well, obviously they're not doing that much well type situation. I mean, the Packers are a good team. And I think that saying about familiarity breeding contempt is true a lot in sports. Nobody's harder on their own roster than fans of a team. Everybody's either the greatest or a complete bum. There's like no middle ground. When in reality, most of the guys in the NFL... In the scheme of being professional athletes, it should be stated, are really just okay. They're somewhere between guys that are just hanging on and superstars. That's where the bell curve of the NFL is. Most of the guys are somewhere in the middle. It's true of most rosters. It's true of every roster. Most of the guys are in the middle. Just a normal distribution of talent. And I think as fans, and as people who cover the team, after a while it can be easy, probably by about this point in the season, to get a little bit down on the team you've got. But there are a couple things that are true about the Packers. First and foremost, they are 8-3. and They've played 11 games and they've won 8. There are warts on the defense. It's not great. It's not going to be the 85 Bears anytime soon. It's not going to be the 96 Packers anytime soon. But they've been good enough to help the Packers get to eight wins. There are weaknesses at wide receiver, yes, even with Tavon Austin. But the receivers they've got have helped the Packers put together the top-scoring offense in the NFL. Yes, Aaron Rodgers still falls into those bad Aaron Rodgers moments sometimes, the Colts game, for example, but he's still playing really, really well. And I think at bottom... Any team the Packers would be matched up against in the NFC playoffs would be, if not terrified, seriously concerned about playing the Packers. I don't know if there's any team in the NFC that is like the odds-on favorite to go to the Super Bowl. I feel pretty confident 
that outside of an NFC East playoff team, anybody getting into the playoffs could make a run or lose after one game. So given our predisposition to focus on the negative, just as people, and maybe me specifically, I thought it was worthwhile to take a little bit of time, given the opportunities we're going to have to talk about the negative stuff, we should take a little bit of time to focus on the positive here. What are the Packers doing well? What's going well for the Packers so far this year as they prepare for that playoff run? First and foremost, Aaron Rodgers is playing really well. And you can win a bunch of games with a quarterback who's playing really, really well. Ask the New York Giants. Sure, it came at the expense of the Packers, but Eli Manning, coupled with a really good defense, playing well, won them Super Bowl twice, two times. Eli Manning, I still can't believe it either. Aaron Rodgers is a heck of a lot better than Eli Manning. And he's playing really, really well. In fact, in 11 games so far this year, Aaron Rodgers has had a passer rating over 100 10 times. The only exception is that now infamous Buccaneers game. He's on pace to have more than 40 touchdown passes. He's on on pace, not even on pace. His adjusted net yards per attempt, that stat we've been tracking all year now, is higher right now than any eight-game stretch since his last MVP. And he's been putting up record-breaking eight-game chunks in every eight-game slice, pretty much, that we have this year. He's playing really, really well. And when your quarterback is playing really, really well, chances are you're going to be able to make a pretty significant run in the playoffs. On defense, the Packers' best defensive player is also playing pretty darn well. Zadarius Smith hasn't put up the same kind of volume numbers this year, but he has good numbers, and he keeps making plays. Our ball hawk stat is not the be-all, end-all, especially for edge rushers, but by that number, he has been making plays on the ball. Sacks, forced fumbles, batted balls, whatever, he has at least one ball hawk in 9 of 11 games. He is playing well. The offensive line is playing really, really well. Assuming John Runyon starts this weekend, the Packers will have had eight different offensive linemen start a game this year. David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Corey Lindsley, Lucas Patrick, Billy Turner, then Lane Taylor, and Runyon, and Rick Wagner. And the best part is, of those eight guys, seven since Lane Taylor's on IR, I don't think I could identify any real significant concerns about any one of them as individuals, much less as a group. Peter Bukowski, my colleague at Acme Packing Company, has a great way of describing offensive line play as a weak link proposition. And maybe that idea isn't unique to him, but he's the person I saw it used most recently or use it most recently. So I'm going to credit it to him, at least for now. The basic thinking is, as long as you don't have one guy who's a weak point on your line, you've got a pretty darn good offensive line. And I think that's where the Packers are right now. They don't have any one guy who's going to screw things up for them. Their worst player, heavy air quotes, is probably either Lucas Patrick or Rick Wagner. And you can win with either of those guys. Patrick is a starting caliber guard, and he can step in at center. 
Rick Wagner can hold it down on the right side for sure. He's a little bit spotty when he's played left tackle, but he can do the job. Billy Turner is like a supercharged version of Rick Wagner. He's pretty good on the right side, even really good at times, and can step in when needed on the left side. David Bakhtiari is David Bakhtiari. Elton Jenkins is an apparent superhero. And Corey Lindsley, while hurt, will be back at some point this season. That's a good place to be in. If you've got a quarterback playing well and an offensive line playing well, you're in pretty good shape. Back to the defensive side of things. Let's talk about Jair Alexander. I think he's becoming a legitimate star this year. A lot of times, it seems like opposing offenses just say, forget about it, whatever side of the field he's on. His opposing passer rating, when quarterbacks are targeting him, that is, has dropped every year, and it's down to 70 this year. According to Pro Football Reference, his average yards allowed per completion is down to a career low 9.2, and he's only allowed one touchdown so far this year. He's playing really well. Also playing well, Devontae Adams. He's been really, really good. What do you want to say about Devontae Adams? I'll say this. He's already had, and this is not his game by any means, but he's already had more explosive plays this year than last year, and he could end up passing his career-best 2018 total of 26. He's got 18 so far this year. Five games to go, I think there's a good chance that he gets there. Also putting up more explosive plays than ever is Robert Tunyon. For the longest time, the Packers have needed a tight end who can just make plays when he's open. I probably liked Richard Rodgers more than most people. Maybe that's my predilection towards tight ends. Maybe that's just because he caught everything that was thrown to him. He didn't go anywhere once he caught it, but he just caught everything that was thrown to him. But as much as I like Richard Rodgers, other than being wide open and catching the ball, he didn't do a whole lot. Tunyon can make plays when he's open. Moreover, he's athletic enough to get open. And in the Matt LaFleur offense, he doesn't even need to be a crazy playmaker. He's athletic enough that If he's schemed into good positions, he can create enormous mismatches. Look at his touchdown this past week. Sure, he ran a pretty nice route. Shouldn't take that away from him. But what he did the best was just be faster than a linebacker, in short. The Packers, and this says a lot, have not had a tight end who can do that in quite some time. As we said before, the Packers have the top scoring offense in the league. Little to add to this but they have it. Even if they've had a couple clunkers in there, even if it hasn't always been perfect, they're scoring more points than anybody else. That's pretty darn good. Speaking of units with significant caveats, special teams penalties are way down this year. Way, way down from 2018. In 8 of 11 games, according to the magnificent Bob McGinn, who has his faults but really is good on stats like this, according to Bob McGinn, the Packers have had zero, zero special teams penalties in 8 of 11 games. Their only special teams penalties have come in three games. And for all of Sean Menenga's weird faults, for all of the tinkering that he does with J.K. Scott for no reason, for all the weird decisions he makes about uh, punt blocks, and punt coverage, and when to do what on special teams. He said on day one, as special teams coordinator, he was going to clean up special teams penalties, and he has. 
back in 2018, Josh Jones was offside multiple times on kicks and punts. As a member of the kicking team, multiple times he lined up offside. Free yards for the opposing team. That has not happened under Sean Menenga. And when it has happened, guys have been held accountable. Wish he would hold himself accountable, but still, we're talking about the positive here. Finally, and we said last week that we don't believe in omens, so I feel pretty comfortable saying this out loud, but the Packers have been relatively healthy. This weekend, against the Eagles, the Packers will start nine of their 11 preferred starters from week one. The only people they're going to be missing are Corey Lindsley and Lane Taylor. I'm not counting Josiah DeGuara there because ultimately he's not one of their core 11 guys on offense, even if he would have had a fairly sizable role. On top of those, that nine of 11, I think the Packers are going to have 11 of their 11 preferred starters on defense. Now that they've got Kamal Martin and Christian Kirksey working together, they've got both of their preferred top two linebackers. All five of their top five preferred defensive backs are healthy. Their top two linemen are healthy in Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry. They've also got three healthy edges. The Packers are in good shape. There's a lot going well for this team. Even if, even if there's some parts that are not perfect, the Packers are in really good shape here heading into week 13. And they're going to be as dangerous as any team headed into the NFC playoffs. Well, I got you here. I got to mention a couple couple other things that are going well. They're both kind of the same thing. But they, they caught my eye this week uh, or today online. I know there's more of this. Uh, but it is November or it is December. So we're coming up on the My Cause, My Cleats thing, which is something that I've, I've really liked that the NFL has implemented over the past couple seasons. Guys wearing custom cleats that support causes that they care about. Yeah, it's a little bit cheesy for sure, but I think it's really cool to see what guys care about. And Rashawn Gary released his custom cleats, I think, today. Um, and they, they highlight dyslexia awareness. Uh, Gary himself apparently had some issues with dyslexia growing up. That's something that still bothers him as an adult. And I think it's really cool that he is sharing that struggle and calling a little bit of awareness to it and subsequently helping uh, the charity with the donation of the shoes or however the profits work there at the very least raising awareness for, for dyslexia uh, and people who struggle with that. That's really, really, really cool. Uh, but secondly, I uh, wanted to highlight the work that Adrian Amos is doing with his I'm still here uh, charity in Wisconsin, for every tackle he makes this year, he is donating $1,000 to Alzheimer's Awareness and Research, uh, the Wisconsin branch of the Alzheimer's Association, or however, I, I, I don't know the exact specific name, uh, but through his through his charity, he's donating $1,000 uh, to Alzheimer's Awareness and Research for every tackle that he makes so far this year. And he's been in on 51 tackles, uh, both solo and assists combined this year. So that's, do the math, $51,000. That is pretty cool. And uh, given that Alzheimer's and dementia has touched my family in semi-tangential ways, but still uh, in in noteworthy ways, that is a, a special thing thing for me. And it, it's cool to see him raising awareness. And I, I was thinking about this. This is not a fully formed idea, but with Christmas coming up and with um, 
giving being a focus kind of, it is Giving Tuesday after all, uh, giving being a focus during this time of the year, I would be interested to see if there are any podcast listeners uh, who are interested in trying to do a charity drive of some kind uh, this holiday season. Uh, I would, if if there is interest in that, I would be willing to see what it takes to set that up. Uh, maybe it's just so simple as donating to a charity run by a Packers player, or we could determine something together that people would be interested in raising support for. My point is, we're a community of people as Packers fans, as maybe even just as as people who listen to this show, who can do some cool things together. And uh, this time of the year, it is it is cool to focus on that kind of stuff. It's cool to focus on it at any time of the year, but we have an additional opportunity to focus on it at this time of the year. So if you're interested in that, I don't know, let me know. I'll bring it up again over the next couple of weeks. We can see if there's any interest. If there's not, we don't have to do anything. If there is, we'll see what we can put together. I know this is going to be fairly last minute uh, given the run-up, but it's something that uh, I think would be cool to do at the very least. Um, get the get the word out about what guys like Adrian Amos and Rashawn Gary and other members of the Packers are doing. Just thought I would mention that. Uh, if you have interest, let me know. So I've got for you in this episode. Do appreciate listening in. If this show was interesting to you, uh, if you think it would be of interest to somebody else, do me a favor and uh, share it with somebody you think would benefit from it. That's going to help more people find the show and ultimately help us achieve our goal of helping more people become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.